Welcome to Pacific Mammal Research's Marine Mammal Highlight Series. We are a 501c3 research and education nonprofit studying marine mammals in the Salish Sea off Washington State. In this series, you will learn about different marine mammals as we discuss interesting facts about each species. This is our way to geek out, share some information, and have some fun. We hope you enjoy the series and be sure to follow us on Instagram to vote for which animal we talk about next. And without further ado, Welcome to the Pac-Man Podcast. I'm Cindy. And I'm Kat. And this week we're back to a marine mammal highlight. Yay! Uh, it's been, I guess, like two months now. So we skipped one because... Oh, that's right. Yeah. There, yeah. Um, so we're back to that. And thank you all for voting. It was between the ring seal and the harp seal, right? Is that what I did? think so. Yeah. I've already forgotten. I'm like, ring seal, that's I'll what we're doing. <laughs> I know who wins. Who won, yeah. Uh, so the ring seal one is like 53 to 47%. So it was pretty close, right? Um, but the ring seal one, I think we've had the ring seal on before and it lost. So I'm kind of excited that it, it got to win this time. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's really cool animal. And actually, well, I'm sure Kat will talk about it, but I, I will oftentimes mention this when I'm talking about harbor seals for a specific reason um, based on what it looks like and stuff. Um, so if you don't, I'll bring it up. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so uh, we are excited to get back to our Marine Mammal Highlight Series. And so Kat is going to start us off with what they look like, which is super cool. Um, they are super cute. Mm -hmm. Super cute. Um, yeah. So let's get into it. So with these guys, the clue is in the name, right? So they are, <laughs> they they are named <laughs> for their, I know, shocker. You did not expect to hear that from our ring seal episode, I bet. Um <laughs> So they are they are known for the light colored rings on their back and sides and so their their overall body color is typically a dark gray to brown and then they have these light colored rings that are kind of smattered all over their body and in some seals it actually does i saw that in a couple places where they said that the rings are so dense that it actually does almost look like a splatter um oh, pattern because there's so many rings kind of overlapping um so that's what happens with spotted at least atlantic spotted dolphins when they get uh, individual spots when they're younger and, and then as they get older it fuses and they become more of like a splotchy pattern rather than individual spots so that's interesting yeah i didn't see it necessarily correlated with age right but i mean it might be i'm not sure it might just be more of like individual animals have more dense patterns than some but yeah and that happens with spotted dolphins too like I, I wasn't necessarily saying that this one was age but just that there are those differences yeah no, i was just yeah no i was just i was just thinking like oh i wonder if it does because when yeah. they're you know like other ice seals when they're born they start off with that white lanugo coat right so mm -hmm. it's they shed that after about four to six weeks. And basically that's just to help them blend into the ice and, and reduce the risk of predation. And keep warm um, before they get their blood. And keep warm. Yes. Yep, exactly, exactly. So they do shed that at about four to six weeks and start to take on this darker, darker pellage pattern with the light colored rings. Um, they are the smallest and most common Arctic seal, which is very cool. Um, and, that's, and that's why I say it in the harbor seals because the harbor seals are the second smallest seal. And the ring seal is the only one that's smaller. There you go. So these guys are averaging a length of about four to four and a half feet. Um, they're so, so small. Um, especially because a lot of the seals we talk about are like up to seven feet long or like right, six to seven feet. And I'm like, oh, yeah. this is like so cute. And then um, the, their weight, right? Their weight is only it's like under The weight's like, a yeah, I was just getting to that. Yeah. So yeah. the weight's about 110 to 150 pounds. So like a petite woman is yeah. about 110 pounds so yeah. like they're pretty pretty light um the average weight of a ring seal pup at birth is only about 10 pounds 
so that's less than a, the other seals are quite larger yeah so that's less than a bag of flour that that's, that a, that's a normal baby size birth <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah it is it totally is i didn't even yeah. think about that yeah it is yeah exactly um so they do have in terms of additional appearance stuff they have a pretty small head um i love this a short cat-like snout so I think what that means is it's kind of like the harbor seal, right? So it has a little bit more of that dish face, but it's not quite as much of an elongated uh, nose, which kind of makes sense again for, for an ice seal because the longer appendages have more likelihood of freezing. So they do tend to have slightly shorter appendages. Um, and a plump body, <laughs> super cute. I never, I always hear, you know, sea puppies, you know, seals as dogs, but not related to cats. So that's interesting. Yeah, and I think because it is a little bit wider too. Like when you see them face on, they do have a little bit more of that kind of like it's a little bit more spread than some seals. Mm -hmm. um, so speaking of ice and relating to ice, they also have thick, strong claws um, on their foreflippers. Again, the foreflippers are a little bit shorter than some other seals. And they use these claws to help to maintain the breathing holes. Um, and they're doing this through six or more feet of ice. So they have to really work hard to keep these open. Six feet? <laughs> You imagine digging with your claws through even a few inches of ice, let alone six feet of it. Those claws have to be gnarly. Well, and I was curious too, because I'm like, do they keep growing over their lifetime? Or like the more you scrape away at this, do they just, I mean, I would imagine they would like be any, like other, other animals where the claws keep growing. Yeah, Cause like dogs, you have to keep clipping the claws. Right. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, yeah. Anyway. So, well, that brings up another thing. So if they did keep growing and you had them in captivity, for example, and they didn't have to claw through the ice, would you have to? You'd have to trim their the claws. Yeah, trim the like claws I would assume. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Good question. Um, so, in terms of distribution, we've already kind of alluded to this, but they are an Arctic species. So they're circumpolar. So they're found in all seasonally ice-covered seas in the northern hemisphere. So basically, anywhere that is covered with sea ice, these guys are typically found, um, and in some freshwater lakes, which is very cool. Mm -hmm. um, so during spring and winter, they are found throughout the Beaufort and Chukchi Seas. They occur in the Bering Sea as well as far as Bristol Bay, um, which is, you know, for those of us on the west coast of the U.S. is probably quite familiar. That's a big fishing ground. Mm -hmm. um, um, and that's really only in years where there's extensive sea ice coverage. So they don't go down that far south, typically, mm -hmm. unless there's a lot of sea ice. Which is probably happening less and less. We'll get to that later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, put a pin in that because, as you can imagine, with all ice-related seals, we are going to yeah. be talking about climate change. Yeah. Um, and then in the in the winter time in the Bering and Chukchi seas, they do migrate northward in spring with the receding ice edge. So basically, as things warm up, they start moving north to to stay with that ice. Um, so they're typically spending the summers in the pack ice in northern Chukchi and Beaufort seas. Um, so yeah, they're they're pretty cool little guys. We'll get to a little bit more about their um, again their status and their distribution in terms of of the different populations and how they're doing a little bit there, later. There's quite a bit of subspecies, right? Like there was like a whole different section. There are five. There are yeah. five subspecies. Yeah, because I was so, like, yeah. I was, was kind of. <clears throat> Going through it, and I was like, oh, okay, I'm sure Kat's going to talk about this, but whoa, there's a lot. Yeah, so good point. Maybe I'll mention that now, and then we'll yeah. circle back to it when we get to the status. So there are five currently recognized subspecies of ringed seals. So there's the Arctic ringed seals. So these guys are from the Arctic Basin and those bearing in Labrador seas. There are the, I can never say this word, Okhotsk. Oh, the Okhotsk. Okhotsk. Yeah. I can never say it. So they're found in the Sea of Okhotsk. Yeah. Um, the Baltic ringed seals, which are found in the Baltic Sea. The Ladoga ring seals, which are found in Lake Ladoga, Russia, and the Saima ring seals, which are also found in Lake Saima in Finland. 
Interesting. Okay, so yeah, the like Simon one has come up quite a bit in when I was <coughs> excuse me looking through things, uh, but I didn't realize there was another one that had the, a, a lake uh, association. Yeah, so there's yeah, so those two, the the Lake Ladoga in Russia and Lake Simon in Finland, um, are the two kind of lake related subspecies that are that are known. And we'll come, we'll circle back to that when we get to the status and stuff, um, and and talk about how each of those subpopulations are doing and why. Yeah, well, I'm glad you brought them up here because some of my stuff relates to different populations. Like Perfect. Certain ones, Perfect. Do, <laughs> certain ones do certain things and other ones do other things. Got it. And I did see, I didn't really see any um, elaboration on it, but quite a few places did say that there are some, even some, some phenotypic differences between the different subspecies. So again, I couldn't really find any information about what that looked like, but I would imagine with something like spotting patterns or, uh, or ring patterns, I keep saying spotting patterns because we do harbor seals, but right. ring patterns, <laughs> patterns. Um, and like slight coloration differences too, I would assume um, yeah. would be would be what they're talking about there. But and it would be really interesting too, that if you're talking about the individual variation, you know, we see that with, with harbor seals, right? There there was one actually, cat, uh, uh, Sierra got a picture of it the other day uh, and it has like almost no spots. I mean, it's just, yeah, like, we've really, seen a few like that where there's almost, they're almost non-spotted. Yeah. It's very strange. And then you have them um, all the way through very pinpointy spots, like all the way through to just modeled coloration pattern, like such a huge variation. And I think if we looked, I, I think there has been some with harbor seals where they showed uh, geographic coloration differences yeah. in different locations. So I wonder if there is, you know, like maybe the, the Simon seals are all like modeled and the other ones are more pinpointy spots or, or not, or there's just individual variation within each population, but it'd be yeah. very interesting to look at because a lot of times you can find geographic reasons or correlations mm -hmm. with what they look like. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I have for their appearance and distribution. And so, like Whoa. I said, we will, we'll circle back to a few of those things later on. Yeah. Um, but for now... Let's, uh, yeah let's get into it uh so um their diet i mean so so here's the thing <laughs> these guys are in the arctic let's preface preface this uh so there's not a ton that we know about them in besides generalities i mean there has been work on it in more recently but um i don't think they've been real topic of of conversation um overall so we do know stuff but there wasn't a lot of details right it's just like well mm -hmm. so um their diet is uh they eat a wide variety of mostly small prey there was no reference as to what small means but they're they're only like 110 pounds so <laughs> probably eating right, four four and a half feet they're probably gonna not be able and as we've talked about before seals do typically swallow their prey whole um they can sometimes kind of smack it around and break it up a little bit but for the most part they are sort of slurping these things down whole so <laughs> you can imagine they're probably not going to be going for like a three or four foot fish i can do it <laughs> that might not end well for anybody no i mean maybe somebody did try it and that's probably a gamble for them <laughs> um so but what's interesting is that uh, so the white the prey is mainly fish but also crustaceans and i think they i saw also amphipods like it's it's very kind of seal like uh, harbor seal like where it's 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 pretty general um so it, but what's interesting is that they have this wide variety but there are no more than 10 to 15 species in any one geographic location that tend to be what they eat so they eat maybe eat 10 to 15 species of fish or or, or arthropods prey. or whatever yeah okay so okay 
overall, if you added up all of the ring seal populations, they eat, you know, say 50 different things, right? But in each location, it's really only 10 to 15. Which is what they found with the, um, the commoner harbor seals in the UK as well. When they've done diet studies around the UK, they find that they, they're generalist predators, but in each location, they sort of specialize in one or two things because that's what's really prevalent in abundant. that location. Yeah, yeah, yeah it yeah. makes sense because they're, they're going to opportunistic predators basically change what they eat depending on what's available since they can. Yeah, that's that cool. But, and then of those 10 to 15, only two to four of them are considered really important prey. So they eat 10 to 15 things, okay. but really focus on two to four, which again, makes okay. sense. Those are probably the most abundant things. They eat those mostly, but then they'll snack on other things. Yeah, makes, makes sense. sense. Yeah. Um, so fishes in the cod family tend to dominate in many locations uh, through late autumn and through spring. So again, it, the, these, the prey that they're eating is going to probably change seasonally based on the you know what, what's happening with the fish life cycle and crustaceans and whatnot. Um, so cod, but apparently cod is fairly important overall. Uh, and what's interesting is that crustaceans appear important in many areas during the open water season. Um, so there are times that they are basically associated with the the, the land fast ice, um, you know, breeding, molting, and things like that, uh, and which we'll, we'll get to. But then there's other times where they're basically out in more open water with the with ice breaks up, right? So during those times, apparently crustaceans are important. And also particularly important for juvenile seals. Mm. So I'm not sure why. Okay. Maybe they can't dive as well. Um, but then that wouldn't, I mean, I guess it depends on the topography. Like if they're, if the crustaceans or whatever that they're eating are in shallower waters and they can't dive as well, then that would be good. But I don't know. Right. And I mean, you might, you might get to this later, but do they, I know for some other seal species, we've talked about that they kind of segregate based on age class. Do these guys do that? Do we know? Or I didn't, I didn't see anything on that. So I don't okay. Cause I'm just wondering, yeah, maybe if the, if the juveniles are all hanging out in one area and that's where they're, you know, like you said, maybe shallower spots where there is more likely to be crustaceans present. Right. Yeah. That could very well be. And I'm going to put a pin in that too, because we'll reference back to it when we talk about the new the new study stuff that they've been doing about food um, in the juveniles. So, uh, but cool. yeah, you're right. We, there is oftentimes age segregation in what they're eating. So it kind of makes sense. Or maybe they need, maybe the crustaceans give them something else that they need in those high metabolic times of being a juvenile. Um, or they're just fun to crunch. <laughs> Right. I was going to say, maybe they're just like teenagers where they're like, I just want chips all the time. Like they're just crunchy little sea snacks. <laughs> exactly. Um, so they can uh, dive to depths of 150 feet plus. Uh, I feel the record I saw or the, the highest one I saw was 300 feet and for 45 minutes. So wow. They're pretty good. Yeah. Hold on there, which makes for sense. such a small species, though, that's actually quite surprising. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Usually the smaller you are, the, you know, the less breath capacity you have. But they must have evolved to that too, because again, they, they have to claw through six feet of ice. So you better be able to hold your breath long enough to open one of those back up. You make a good point. <laughs> yeah, there is that. Necessity, right? Um, okay, so uh, for behavior, again, you kind of already touched on this. Um, they have those north, south, uh, or inshore, offshore migrations with the seasonal ice. Um, and the winter and early spring, uh, they will uh, carve out layers in the snowdrifts. This is super fun about the reproduction. It's really neat. Um, and they have these layers that they they carve out in the snowdrifts over their breathing holes. So they have these breathing holes, and then oh. they will carve out with their claws a little layer to sleep in and molt and breed and whatever and birth, you know, give birth. 
Um, so it's super, super cool. Uh, they will change uh, from, let's see, and as the then, so then as the spring comes about in mid-May to mid-July, it warms up and the snow melts over their breathing holes. So there goes their layer, unfortunately. Um, so they'll change from using their layer to, you, to basking on the surface uh, at or near the breathing holes, uh, near the layers or cracks. Um, and this is when they're undergoing their annual molt. So we've talked about that before in seals. All of them will lose their hair. Some of, you know, sea lions tend to do it throughout the year. Others, uh, true seals tend to molt at one particular time. Uh, and so this is their annual time. They lose their hair. It's, uh, I think I wrote it down. I think it was like three to six weeks. Um, and the, an important time because as with many other seals that we've talked about, when they're molting, they don't eat or eat very little. So they have to be able to withstand um, uh, withstand that and lose they basically lose weight during during the, the molting process. Um, they are usually found alone. Um, they are kind of solitary loners, but they can be in large groups during the molting season, um, gathered around cracks or breathing holes in the ice. So again, it, you know, all the snow is melting, so it's a bit more open. <laughs> it's like having an open floor plan instead of individual rooms in your house. Everybody just kind of sees each other. <laughs> Um, so that's kind of what I had for uh, behavior. Um, so again, we don't know, you know, it's, we know that they move around and I don't know really if they do much more <laughs> than just migrate with the food. Um, well, and it makes and sense if they're more, if they're more solitary too, it kind of makes sense that it would be harder to study behavior because you're tracking an individual versus you're what you're observing a whole group of animals together, you know? Right. And they're spread, you know, the population just spread over a lot of areas. So it's like, well, okay, what are the group as a whole doing versus any individual or whatever? So yeah, be more difficult. Um, this, uh, so for reproduction, this was interesting. Um, go, re referencing back to the uh, different populations, um, the sexual maturity varies with population status. And I couldn't find anything as to what that meant. <laughs> but uh, I like, I don't know if that means that some were really hard hit with, you know, being hunted or something like that, and then made them go faster. But they can either be as young as three for both sexes, or up to seven, uh, sexual maturity at seven for males and uh, nine for females. So it's pretty wow, large. Wow, that's like triple. So like, yeah, yeah, if that's three for one and then nine, that's triple the age. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And they, you know, they're living 20 to 30 years. I think you probably get to that, but they, 20, it's a normal, yeah, 25 yeah, it's a to 30. normal pinniped lifespan. So they, it's not like they're only living 10 years. So it's like, well, you got to get started at three, you know, like harbor purposes. So I'm not sure. I really, well, I wish I could have found out more of what that population status meant, but I didn't, wasn't able to. Yeah. Do we know which direction that is? Like they they start reproducing younger if they're more threatened or, okay, I'm not sure. I would, I would, that's what I would assume, but uh, because it, it, if if one in particular population in particular was hit really hard with that, and so they basically had to start having babies earlier, or or it pushed towards that. Um, yeah, I don't know. Huh. Yeah, how intriguing. Yeah. So and I and I couldn't see it. I didn't see it like blipped out for each population as to what the sexual maturity was for all of them. It's just a more general thing. So something interesting to look into. Huh. <laughs> I mean, maybe if I spent like another few hours doing it, I could have found something, but didn't have that kind of time. Um, so what's, what's really interesting is so that they breed annually and the timing varies with location. So again, that makes sense with depending on what latitude you're at and what's going on in your neck of the woods. 
Something really fun, which I did not know, is that during the breeding season, the males, their faces turn black. Really? It gets better. So they turn black and they have a strong gasoline smell from the scent glands. Yeah. What? Yeah. So much so that polar bears won't eat them and people won't hunt them because they don't taste good. Like, they, wow. like males are basically won't get hunted, won't get eaten during mating season because they smell so bad. They're like, yo, we're on a mission. Do not mess with right? us for a good like month or so. Exactly. So that's so cool. Really interesting. Yeah. I was like, so they called them. So some of the like hunters called them like gasoline. Uh, was it? They said, um, oh, I didn't write it down. Uh, they call them like gasoline seals. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. That was really interesting. Um, so, uh, they do, they will mate while they're nursing, uh, which it, ha- it goes for about two months. They will, uh, the moms will nurse. Uh, and the mating is thought to occur under their breeding, under the water near their breathing, uh, their breathing holes in their birth layers. So they give birth and they hop down below and get pregnant again. Uh, and they get, they, they mate about a month after birth. And then of course they have delayed implantation, just like uh, all the other pinnipeds uh, for the just, so the gestation lasts for uh, 11 months with that um, delayed implantation. Um, so, all, so this is where we get into the population. Again, all the subspecies, except for the autos, um, have a single pup that are hidden from view in the within the snow covered layers, and this is a fun word. This is this is your word for the day. Subnivian. It means under the snow uh, snow covered. Say it again. Subnivian. Subnivian. Okay. Yeah. N i b e n. Cool. So sub under nivian must mean snow. Cool. Yeah. So under but so those ones use the layers, and this kind of birth layering thing is unique. Like that's not a normal, I've never heard of it before in any other, even any other Arctic seals. I don't I think. I feel like I have, but maybe I was, all, maybe I was thinking of the ring seal. Cause I've definitely, I've definitely heard of them using layers before. Um, but yeah, I might've been, I might've been even thinking of the ring seal when I was thinking of that. Yeah. I mean, it, regardless, there's not that many others if there are any. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the Arctic seals can use the layer and they have been known to do so. However, they normally depend on the protective sheltering of ice hummocks, H-U-M-M-O-C-K-S, which are rounded okay. built of ice. So, okay, so they're kind of using more of the natural landscape that, mm-hmm. that occurs in their location. Okay, rather than carving out their own. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, why not? So again, population differences. Not sure why. That's what they do. Um, <laughs> the so that they nurse for up to two months uh, in that stable ice, the fast ice, which always confuses me because fast. To me, it seems like it should be floating in the water, but fast means it's holding fast to the land. Um, and so what's interesting is that if they're if they're in a place where the, the ice is stable, they can nurse for up to two months, which is relatively long for an ice breeding seal because most of so it's, there's some, some that it's like three days. <laughs> it's really short. Yeah. Um, but if they're on moving ice, depending on where they are, it, it's as little as three to six weeks. So I would be interested to know what the fat content of those two different milks are, right? So if they, mm-hmm. if it's the same milk, they just don't get as much or do they, so does the body somehow create a higher fat content to make up for the time difference that they're, that they're, that they're doing it? Yeah, that's a really good question. Yeah, it would be interesting to look at that. Um, and the pups learn to dive shortly after birth, 
uh, again, similar to harbor porpoises, or harbor seals, where it's you know predator <laughs> fear. You're hiding in your hole from a polar bear or something. You better be able to dive pretty quickly and start to stay safe. Um, they are weaned before the breakup breakup of the spring ice in general. Um, and uh, the moms do take foraging trips. So this is another odd thing about Arctic these guys because generally, again, the shorter the time frame of the lactation, the uh, the seals, in, especially in the more northern waters, tend to just fast and and they they don't do foraging trips, right? Um, these guys do take foraging trips and spend 50 to 80% of the time in the water. The moms do. So wow. the pups are by themselves for a long time, which maybe necessitates that, you know, having a layer, right? You can't just have your pup just laying out in the open area for anybody to come grab. And there's lots of, you'll talk about them, I'm sure, the threats, but there's lots of different predators that these guys have. So um, I think those two things might have, must have co-evolved, right? Being able to be in the water and take those foraging trips, have a little bit longer lactation in such a cold area because they're using that unique habitat of creating their dens or uh, ice hummocks. Well, and the thing is too, again, thinking of how small these guys are, I mean, obviously they build up reserves, but they're not like some of the larger seals where they can rely on their blubber spores for long periods because there just simply wouldn't, wouldn't be enough blubber on such a small animal to last. So you know? it's exactly the same for the harbor corpus, right? They, they've yeah, such a exactly. they're so little, they, they cannot physically store enough energy to last a long time. So you're, that's a very good point. Yeah. Um, so even though they're foraging, they still lose weight. So the energetic demands on the pups are more costly to moms compared to other frozen seals because of an unusually high activity level. So if they're going in the water, in that cold Arctic water, from the at like soon after they're born, even still with their Lanugo coat, they don't have a lot of blubber, they're gonna be going, they're gonna be just bottomless pits <laughs> for energy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I thought that was interesting that that they the, their, their pups are so costly to the mothers that even though they're foraging, they still can't make up the difference and they lose weight mm -hmm. in the process. Yeah, so, no, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so I think that's all the cool stuff I had about, um, uh, reproduction and their behavior. So they're kind of a cool, uh, Arctic seal species in terms of, they do a lot of the things that the snow, like ice snow seals do, but then they, they have their own twist to it and they do, you know, specific things like having those layers and foraging during, during their uh, nursing. So, um, kind of cool and lots of fun words <laughs> when you get to them today. Um, Fun facts. All right. So uh, actually, we may not even have any fun facts because they're all kind of embedded in what we've been talking about, but maybe we'll have some later. Uh, so we were going to take a break here. And when we come back, we'll talk about the status and threats and some cool new research that's happening. So we will get back to you in just a minute. Hello, listeners. This is Cindy, the research director at Pacific Mammal Research. And I wanted to take just a minute to thank you for listening and supporting our work. And I wanted to see maybe if you wanted to learn a little bit more about the background of what we do and what we see in the field and other kind of cool information that you can get by subscribing to the podcast for only $5 a month. You can get uh, ad-free episodes as well as these many episodes where we discuss the things we've seen in the field, the stuff we've gone to with workshops, uh, and other little interesting tidbits of information for our subscribers only. This is a great way to help support PacMam, who we are a very small nonprofit, so every every dollar helps us continue the work that we do and provide the information and the fun podcasts that we have uh, that hopefully you guys are, are enjoying. So if you can, think about it, subscribe to the podcast and help support our work, and we hope you enjoy.
Okay, and we are back, um, back for more ring seal fun. Uh, so Kat is going to talk to us about the the different subspecies status populations. <laughs> and what's yeah, up? yeah. So it's kind of an interesting. I found the status for these guys very intriguing. So first of all, we often talk about the IUCN red list when we're talking about these species. So basically, that's a um, compendium of yeah compendium oh, of compendiums way better than my thank list. you since we're since we're sticking with fun words um but basically for each species kind of indicates whether we should be concerned about their their conservation status or not so the ring seal is actually listed as least concern because as again like i said they are one of the more common um arctic seals however however we don't actually have a firm population estimate for these guys. We think that there are probably more than one. One thing I saw said that we think there are likely more than 2 million worldwide. Whoa. However, when we get into each of the subspecies, it's not all the same picture as we've talked about with many other species. So just real quick, um, I do want to mention, we do have an estimated population size for the Arctic stock. Um, that, that first subspecies group that I talked about. So this is kind of up and up in the Alaska region. Um, and we think that's a kind of just over 300,000 individuals um, for that specific stock. Mm -hmm. So let's go through each one real quick. So under the so under the IUCN, they're listed as a, as a species as least concern. Each subspecies is also, however, listed under the Endangered Species Act as either threatened or endangered which I find really interesting given that they are seen as the species of least concern under the IUCN that as a whole. That makes no sense. I've never seen I know. Usually they Usually those match pretty well, like least concern, yeah. least threatened, or like they're worried about it, but not like, you're fine. Yeah. <laughs> like, so <laughs> the only thing that I can think is that they might have slightly different requirements as to what it requires to be listed as threatened or endangered under the ESA. So I did just want to define this really quick before we dive into each subspecies. So under the Endangered Species Act, threatened means that they are likely to become endangered in the foreseeable future throughout all or significant portions of their region. Mm -hmm. And endangered means that they are in danger of extinction throughout all or significant portions of their range. So is this a difference between the IUCN looking at the population wide, like whole population having 2 million? You're like, they're fine, but each individual population is very different. I think so. ESA. Yeah. And the, the, and the ESA is, is, again, is they're using slight, I think they're using slightly different requirements as to, as to how you come under certain, certain mm -hmm. uh, thresholds. And is, is the, the, so there's, there's, cause there's populations that aren't in the U S so the ESA has nothing to do with them. So I, that may all be like ours, maybe not doing well, but overall in the other places, it, those are doing better. So then the IUCN maybe has less worry. About well, it. I think all I can think is if there are fairly good numbers that we think as a whole, there's no evidence currently to suggest that the populations are massively declining. However, the Endangered Species Act, I think is more, that seems to be a little bit more conservative. So again, when we get into the threats and talking about climate change, this kind of makes more sense as to why these would be considered considered threatened. So let's get into the subspecies. So for the Arctic seal, Arctic ring seal subspecies, like I said, that's the the Arctic basin, the Bering and Labrador seas. They're considered threatened. So that's the stock that we think has just over three hundred thousand individuals. Um, so this is again threatened is likely to become endangered in the foreseeable future. Ooh. 
And I, so, well, I mean, you're going to talk more about this, but there is a specific one that I'll talk about with climate change and future population estimates that will go right along with this in the new. Oh, perfect. So, yeah. Okay. We'll get there. Um, so the, the Akost, I can never say that, uh, ring seal in the sea of Akost. Blah. Sorry, anyone who actually knows. I know, if we've that. said this, I apologize. Many, many times, both of us like every time. Sorry. Every time I can't, I can't figure out how to say it. Anyway, they're threatened as well considered threatened under the ESA. And then the Baltic sea ring seals are also considered threatened. So these are all subpopulations that are likely to become endangered in the foreseeable future throughout all or significant portions of their range. Were there numbers for those two? No. Did they give numbers? Okay. No. Um, and then the Ladoga ring seal, so Lake Ladoga in Russia and the Lake Saima in Finland seals, those are both considered endangered, which again, makes a little bit more sense given that they are associated with a lake. Um, lakes are often more uh, accessible to human beings as well. Um, and so that, that kind of makes more sense as to that no, these might be, yeah, I was going to say that just that isolation factor alone would, would lend itself to less, um, a less good outcome potentially, uh, especially with things like climate change. They don't really have anywhere else to go where a lot of these other seals could spread out to somewhere else. These guys are kind of confined to that one obligate yeah. area. Talk mm. about that too in the new research as well. This is good. Oh, well, hey, this is, this really is well. perfect. <laughs> okay, fantastic. So let's get into some of those threats now that we've kind of confused ourselves with their conservation status. <laughs> they're fine, um, they're not. I don't know. I know, well, and like you said, that's the problem where when we're looking at a species overall versus taking into account each of the subspecies that contributes to that overall count, it's very misleading a lot of times. Well, it's very similar to killer whales, right? So overall, mm -hmm. killer whales are doing fine, but you know the SRKWs, the southern residents up here, are not. You know, and there are different populations that have different levels of that, and you can't necessarily, especially for such a cosmopolitan species, or you know, so circumpolar for that for these guys, you can't look at the whole picture. You have to look at those individual populations. Yeah. yeah, and it really does come back to understanding that that population level and the local ecosystem. Yeah. Um, and not just assuming that, I mean, you can, you can say the same thing about human populations too, right? The, the human species is booming. Right. However, yeah. certain areas of the certain world locations. are really struggling, right? right? Like we all understand that that's a, that's a reality. So it's the exact same for these guys. Okay, threats. So yes. obviously number one, climate. Again, as an obligate ice species, uh, these guys are of course at a much higher risk of death and and all of the things that go along leading up to that both direct and indirect as a result of ice melt from climate change so again like cindy already mentioned this as we reduce ice we're reducing space for their breeding their molting their pupping um you reduce the the locations where those pups are going to be safe from predators um you know as we already heard you know you're going to have see changes in uh, reproductive status and and how long they're taking to reproduce successfully. Um, so that also has a massive impact on overall population numbers as well. Um, and again, because they, they really do, they very rarely come ashore. They are mostly on ice. So if there's no ice, there's really no seals. Like that's that's literally how, how bad it could get. Um, another one that goes along with this which we've talked about when we've referred to other kind of ice related species is the offshore oil and gas exploration and development so again as we as we are reducing sea ice levels we're increasing our ability to get up into those areas as people and exploit those areas for natural resources um 
So while that's going to create a lot of indirect effects through, through noise disturbance and encroaching on their al already reducing habitat, accidental spills are actually the biggest threat from that, where if you are doing some kind of oil exploration and you have an oil slick in that area, that's, I mean, that's going to take out a huge amount of species. And I, I mean, I hate to put this out there, but is it less likely that they'll, that, is it likely that they will be less concerned about cleaning it up because people don't see it, right? So in, when it was on Florida, everybody was like, oh my God, there's oil on the beaches and it's currently mellowed, but up there, nobody's going to see it. So who, who's there to make sure it gets cleaned up? Yeah. And also, I mean, just logistically, if you're in the high Arctic, yeah, it's so a lot hard. harder to clean it up too. Yeah. yeah. So exactly. All of those things go along with it. So I think that's partly why mm. this is such a big threat because it, it, it would likely be harder slash less of a priority to, to take care of it. Right. Um, there are still subsistence harvests of Arctic ring seals occurring in some parts of their range. Um, the harvest levels do males. seem to be sustainable. Not the right, not the males in breeding season. Males apparently, they're just like no go. Um, <laughs> they've got to figure it out. Like, why right? do they all not just do that? That's super. I know. Smart. That was a um, be like, come over here, rub that. <laughs> right? Seriously, seriously. Um, so we do know that the Alaskan Native peoples have a long history of subsistence harvest of ring seals for both food and materials. Um, there are co-management agreements that exist between uh, NOAA and U.S. Fish and Wildlife with Native tribes to facilitate sustainable harvests. Um, and the U.S. specifically does not allow commercial harvests. Um, those are still allowed in other parts of their range. I think, like, obviously parts of Russia, I think, would, would be included within that. And I think the Sea of Okhotsk mm -hmm. um, as well. But again, it seems as though these harvest levels are sustainable. Again, they're a smaller animal. Um, so they're likely not taking them in, in quite as large numbers as perhaps they once did, um, because we know that they were there were significant declines in parts of their region in the past due to those harvests. But they've been a little bit more restricted and, and more limited in recent years. And so that's kind of evened off a little bit. Well, it's a great example of, you know, co-governance. I just gave a, a talk recently about this, about, you know, the fact that if we can work, we really have to work together. Like right? you can't just be them doing one thing, one doing one thing, we're doing another thing. If we're working together and say, these are the numbers total that we can catch or we can do, and this is how we divvy out who gets what, then that is a better way forward for everybody, including the SEALs. Um, yeah. So it's great that they're doing that. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, the, the last kind of human-related issue is entanglement, which is apparently a, a specific issue in the Ladoga and Saima subspecies, um, which oh, are the two endangered species. Yeah, so obviously they can get entangled in fishing gear. Um, so that's, that's not ideal. Right. And then, um, obviously predation, as we talked about. So Arctic oh, foxes, Arctic foxes, humans, and polar bears are the biggest natural threats to the ring seals. The polar bears specifically will hunt the pups in their dens. Um, and like, again, yeah, yeah. So yeah, you, and Arctic foxes too, you've seen yep. them do that on probably the, you know, frozen planet and all yeah. those things. Um, so, and again, like the vast majority of the polar bear kills of ring seals are occurring during that that kind of pupping season. Um, the Arctic foxes will most often scavenger the remains left by polar bears, but they will they will specifically hunt them in those layers as well if they think they can get at the the babies. Yeah, um, so small. Like you said, the foxes aren't that big, but because those babies yeah. are just small, it's a, it's a perfect size. 
Right, exactly. And again, you know, this does go back into the climate change issue, as we know, polar bear populations are really struggling as well. So if there's less ringed seals, that means less food for the polar bears who are already struggling with their food sources. And even um, if so that kind of cycles there, around. Yeah. So and even if they're there, that they're maybe not, they don't have as much blubber, they're not as bad. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're not getting such food. So yeah, like, exactly. So that's what I have for the threats. So let's hear about what's going on with these guys now. Some new stuff. Um, <clears throat> sorry, I just keep having the, the, the picture. I, I think it's from Frozen Planet where you see the polar bear jumping on the, the tent to crush it down. Uh, it's kind of fun to watch, but also sad because they're taking the little baby. Uh, but also, if they're taking the babies too, they don't really have a lot of fat stores when they're first born. So it's kind of like beating a ball of fluff, but I guess it's enough. Something. <laughs> Um, okay, so as you can imagine, um, quite a bit of the stuff that's being done is, is relating to climate change because these are good indicator species. Um, it, a lot, also because there are so many, right? Or they are the most populous seal up there um, that you could be able to use them as an indicator for how well the Arctic is doing. <clears throat> so this one by Reimer et al. in 2019 looked at demography and climate changes, and so this is the one that's that's very interesting. So they they coupled the, the a demographic model model so looking at you know all the different ages that there are and how many animals there are and that kind of stuff to the ice and snow forecasts and they looked back historically mm. so they were able to use like back data to fill this model up and then they could look back and forwards to see what would be affected um into the future right how how changing climate and reducing sea ice would affect these animals uh, and so this demographic model also is, is from monitoring data. So there are people that are up there monitoring how many seals there are in, in certain locations, at least. Uh, and so they're using that data to then inform these models that then we can then use back data to look forward, which is really cool. <clears throat> so for um, just a second. I to clear my throat off, off mic there. Um, so they looked at things for up to the year 2100. And this was scary. Um, the median decline in population from looking at with modeling through the 20, 2100 with you know the sea ice decline and that kind of stuff. The median decline in the population was 50 to 99%. Wow, yeah. that's terrifying. Like very, like very bad. <laughs> Um, and so that, you know, it's, it shows how, why they may be endangered and threatened because it's such a big deal. If the ice is not there, they're just, they're just going to be gone. They're just not going to do it. Um, and what's interesting is they also brought substance, uh, uh, into this as well, the hunting. And so they were using, I think, looking at it, um, with being able to use this, the numbers from substance harv harvesting, uh, to be able to see when the declines would start to occur right? Because you can see like, oh, we're getting less and less seals. When would that happen? Um, and if they look at that, um, the changes in population structure based on that data. <clears throat> um, oh, wait, no, was that a different one? That was, um, oh, no, this was, okay. So that's a different one. Sorry. Just kidding. I'll go back to that. Um, the, the, this one was the, um, when they looked at this, they, they, there was increased in pups and adults, but decreased juveniles in these long-term modeling forecasts. Interesting. Yeah. So you have- that mean that the pups just aren't surviving to adulthood? I guess. But then you're still okay. getting, you're still increasing adults. So I'm not sure, I'm not sure how that works, but I was 
linking I, my thought was like oh well if the if the juveniles are eating something different as we just talked about previously are they it, it, are the things that are associated with the um the, the prey declines with what's going on in the arctic affecting the juveniles more than the adults and and, and the pups Possibly. Yeah. Um, so, uh, they, they, that is the one they did look at it with, with substance harvesting, but now uh, my notes are in, maybe incomplete, <laughs> uh, but that was interesting that they, you know, again, using, that's what the power of these models are, is taking data that we have and being able to uh, look forward and see, you know, do we really need to be worried about the species or not, you know, um, in regards to that. Um, so the next one I'm going to talk about is Kun. Huna Shranta et al. Um, this is sealed in a lake, which I like their title. Uh, this is about the Lake Saima seals. So they did a, uh, a review of these ones, the Lake Saima in Finland. There are only 400 individuals in that population. Wow. Okay. Very small. So they've been, what's interesting is they've been um, isolated since the last ice age, I think. Something like mm -hmm. that. That would make sense. I wrote that down and now I can't find it either. Oh, landlocked since the last glacial period. So yeah, they're completely isolated from everywhere else. So that makes sense that they're going to have that. Um, but what's interesting is, so, so they basically just did a review. So I'm not, you know, I'm not going to go over the details of that. But what they um, were looking at partly uh, is that um, this impoverished gene pool will make climate change threat that much worse, which is what you alluded to earlier, right? So they don't have a lot of genes to make up, have variation to be able to make up for things. Um, so they also said that the provision of artificial nests uh, may be a good conservation action. Um, and this is interesting because artificial nests I had never really heard of before, and it's in the um, uh, the program that we're using for Harbor Seal ID as artificial nests. Oh. What? What, is, what is that? So I guess they're like, like artificial reefs. I think they're making places that they would be able to nest um, if needed. So uh, that was interesting. Um, then uh, Kelly et al. in 2010 did a home range and in in fidelity to breeding sites. They had 98 ring seals in the Beaufort and Chukchi Seas from 1990 to 2006, which is a, quite a long time frame, using three forms of telemetry, looking at their time during the shore fasts, ice time, and then the you know time when they're in more open ocean. Generally, the females ranged larger, which I thought was interesting because usually it's males. And they had 12 seals that ranged up to 1,800 kilometers from their winter spring home ranges in the summer so they went far and wide but they returned to the same small one to two kilometer site for breeding and molting so very, very cool. specific they're not just like this region like no this particular piece of ice is where i want to be hmm. um <clears throat> so the restricted movement in the end in the ice bound and breeding seasons uh, can limit their foraging activities so again if that certain areas are, are hit harder they're going to not do well um, but it was interesting. They said limit their foraging activities for most of the year and may also minimize gene flow because if everybody's coming back to the same spot, that's the same genes that are coming back to those same spots. And so now you're getting the same kind of reduced gene flow. So kind of double whammy. Yeah. Comp compounds the problem. Exactly. Um, so I have two more. Uh, this is, I'm, oh, I'm going to say the wrong name wrong. Koivuntini et al. 2016. They used photo ID. This is super mm. cool. Yes. So they use camera traps from 2010 to 2014 because probably standing out on those ice things is not really conducive for people taking pictures. I would not want to do it. Um, so they were able to use camera traps and their 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 ring patterns are lifelong, unique pa patterns, just like for harbor seals for their um, uh, spots. 
They had 220,000 images. They had 164 individuals with 43% resided in successive years. Okay. They're coming, you know, they're coming back. Um, and they were able to get both sides and the sex of the animal. So really helpful mm. for a lot of life history stuff. Yeah. Um, and they, again, came back to within 1.6 kilometers between years. So where they saw, saw the wow. ceiling again was in that very tiny small range. Um, so that shows that they have very high molting site fidelity and support suggests, um, it suggests this, uh, uh, that they have natal site fidelity too, to come back to where, where they were born. Um, and that mm -hmm. was in Lake Sima that they did okay. that. So very cool. And then the last one, I'm going to leave it on a, on a good note because we talked about how bad the climate change is for these guys. Um, there was one in, in Reget 20 et al, uh, 20 et al, uh, Reget et al, uh, 2013, uh, looking at perfluorochemicals uh, in Greenland uh, seals. And so these are the like PFOs, PFAs, um, bad long-term long chemicals uh, in the environment. They have increased through 2006 with a doubling of every six years. But the good news is that since then, there's been a rapid de decrease uh, with the clearing of the half-lives of uh, one to two years. So for certain chemicals, they're greatly on the decline. There were some other ones. There's a lot of different chemicals that they talked about. Some of them are still there or, or increasing some, but it's good news that some of these persistent chemicals that we've had in the environment are finally starting to 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 go down quite quickly, at least uh, in this case. Yeah. So there's some there's some hope. We've stopped chemical and, and the chemicals getting to them, uh, but they still have the those gene flows and the climate change that are their their biggest things on top of the polar bears. So yeah. Um, so that's all I have for the for the new stuff. Um, so don't forget that we, we did love doing the ring seal. Uh, thank you again for voting it in and be uh, keep an eye out on Instagram stories and Facebook stories for the um, the next poll, which will happen next month. Um, or maybe, I don't know what we're going to do. We'll find out. Uh, don't forget we have merch. So go to our, our merch store. You can go to our website and find a, a link to that. And uh, you can support us through the podcast by subscribing for a small monthly fee of $5. You get ad-free episodes and special bonus mini episodes. Uh, and this month is going to be uh, Sierra, our research assistant, is telling us how she got to where she is today. So uh, that'll be a fun one to listen to. Um, so those are the ways that you can help support us. We greatly appreciate your listening and sharing of our work. And we will see you next time with a likely a journal review, I think. So mm -hmm. thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. This was brought to you by Pacific Mammal Research, a 501c3 nonprofit organization. To learn more about the species we discuss, check out our blog. Head to our website, www.pacmam.org, that's P-A-C-M-A-M.org, to check it out. Also, help us continue providing fun and educational content like this by donating today. Your help is how we can continue to do our work and share it with you. Thanks.